0: Uh, so <laughs> I was going to play another video um, of these uh, two girls go they're walking into church, and one is inviting their other friend to church, and she 's like, "Oh, I'll put it in context here." She goes, "Pastor Mitch is awesome, right? He's fluent in Greek and Hebrew and Roman, and her friend's like, "I think you mean Latin." And she's like, Wh- whatever, whatever. He's, he's anointed, he's really good." And all of a sudden this other pastor walks up and she's like, "Oh, wait what's happening?" She goes, we, we got to go. We got to go. We, we cannot be here for this. And her friend says, you know, well, what's going on? And she goes, well, this, is, this is the backup pastor. This is who they bring up when the good pastor's not there. It's a it's a waste of our time. We just need to go. And she's like, we're, we're going to stay. And that's where the video ends. And I was going to come up here and say, I'm not, I'm not even the backup pastor, I'm the, the backup's backup. So, <laughs> Jameis Winston's out, Jameis Winston's backup is out. I'm the third string, and uh, we're going to get started today. But I wanted to let you guys know a little bit about who I am. I am Pastor Ben. Um, I am only 23 years old, which means I don't know much, um, but I'm going to get up here and pretend like I do. <laughs> uh, I've been married now for just over a year to my lovely wife, Bethany. Uh, yeah. You've, uh, you've probably seen her like peeking a camera through the curtain or back on the computer making sure you guys are singing the right words or back holding your child in the nursery, uh, which just goes to show that she does more for this church than I do. Uh, but don't tell Mitch because uh, I might lose my job. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I went to uh, CCC and graduated there uh, with a Bachelor of Arts in uh, Bible with a minor in biblical languages, so I do know kind of what I'm talking about. But I spent a uh, a year, right around a year um, after I was uh, after I graduated at Skycrest Community Church, where I was the youth pastor. So I do have some experience in getting up and preaching, but uh, not in front of a crowd like this. So uh, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me. We're going to be in Philippians four for our main text. Today, Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 7. If you've got your Bible, it's awesome. If not, it'll be on the screen. It goes like this It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are thankful for your word today. Uh, we're thankful for the peace that you offer us. And ultimately, we're thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to wash our sins clean so that we could have peace with you and reconciliation with you. So we pray that as we open your word today, that your truth would be made known and that we would leave this place a little bit different, a little bit more like Jesus than when we came. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at the promise that God gives us in verse 7, right, his peace, and how does that affect our day-to-day lives, how does that affect um, what we do as a church, and then what I want to do is I want to look at verses 4 through 6 and see how we can receive uh, that peace of God. But before we dive in, I want to give you guys just a little bit of a background, um, I'm not much of a history buff, I like history, but I think it's important here to understand sort of the, uh, the climate that this book was written in when Paul was writing, um, how Philippi was, was founded, how it was conquered. So in the 4th uh, century BC, uh, Philip II conquered Philippi. He was looking for these gold mines that were nearby, and so he conquered the land. And it was in the 2nd century BC that it became a Roman province of Macedonia. Right? And then nothing happened. I know this is really boring, but it, it trust me, we're, we're getting somewhere. in 42 BC uh, Antony and Octavian come, and they conquer the land, right? And it no longer is part of the Roman Republic. it becomes a part of the Roman Empire. It ushers in the empire, okay? And then what happens is, all of these veterans, all of these soldiers, end up living in Philippi. And so Philippi is mainly a town of Roman citizens. Uh, they actually, even though they're, it's in Greece, they, had, they were Roman citizens under Roman law, right? So they were very proud of that. They were very uh, proud to be Roman citizens, and they let everybody know that. And their pride about being Roman actually got Paul thrown in jail when he first went to Philippi because the reason he was thrown in jail, the, the owners of the fortune teller that he ended up exercising uh, said that he is threatening our Roman tradition, that he can't be here. And so they threw him in jail. And we all know what happens, right? God sends an earthquake, and Paul doesn't move, right? Much to the, uh, the gratitude of the jailer. And we, we find that he plants a church, and he writes this letter. And the reason that he uses these words like, guard your heart, and uh, you can have peace, is because he knows there are soldiers there who think, I, I do the guarding of my heart. I do the guarding of my land. I... I'm strong enough to do it on my own. I've put my faith in the gold mines that are here, in the natural resources that are here, in my money, in my stature. And and Paul is going to say here that your your pride should not come in being a Roman citizen. Your pride should not come in your money. Your pride should be in Christ. And what he says is, earlier in in Philippians, he says, you're not Roman citizens first. You are citizens of heaven, and then you are Roman citizens. So I want to say here, RCC, we are not citizens of America first. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first, and then we are citizens of America. So we're going to dive right in, because if their security was not going to be in money, and their security was not going to be in their resources, how are they going to find peace? And I think we, we normally think of peace in terms of peace between men, um, sometimes that's faulty. And I want to uh, kind of dive in and it, say what is, what is the peace of God and what is, what is not the peace of God? So how does it function and how does it not function? Um, and the first is that peace brings unity, right? And that initial act. Um, I want you guys to think of like in a very general, very basic sense of a peace treaty between two countries. Uh, initially that treaty is started by what normally? A signature on the peace treaty that says, this, this is what my country is going to abide by, and we're going to have peace now. And what I want us to see in Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, I believe it's going to be up on the screen, so I'll read it there with you guys. So we go ahead and put it up. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so what I want you guys to see is that initial signature on the peace treaty is the blood that that Jesus shed on the cross, right? He has signed his side of the peace treaty. And what we see here is that the dividing wall of hostility in this context here is talking between the Jews and the Gentiles. Those who were near, the Jews who had been given the law of Moses, were near to God. Even though they didn't know Jesus or, or trust in Jesus, they were close to God. And those who were far off were the Gentiles. And what this is saying here is that dividing wall of hostility between the circumcised and the uncircumcised has been broken. Right? You are no longer two different people. You are one people and so what he's also saying here is that the dividing wall of hostility between you and God has been broken down by the shedding of blood on the cross by Jesus and so what he's done is he has, he has signed his peace, his side of the peace treaty and he awaits your signature right but and we can have that peace with God but what we also know about peace treaties is that that initial signature on the treaty does not sustain peace right most of the time in a peace treaty there are there are terms that each country must, you know, must do in order to sustain the peace. And in Colossians, oh, uh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, right, so there are terms to the peace. And that means there are terms that we, we must do things in order to receive the peace of God. And John Piper puts it this way, that these aren't, these aren't have-tos. These are, these are get-tos. We, we get to do these things. We have the awesome opportunity to love God because he first loved us. And so let's look at Luke two fourteen. This is in the um, the narrative of Jesus' birth. It says, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." And then we'll go to we'll go through these pretty quickly. Isaiah twenty six three. It says, "You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you." And the last one is Isaiah thirty two seventeen. It says, "The effect of righteousness." Will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. So, what we see here is that the, the treaty has already been signed. And if you're a believer, you, you've signed your end, and now you get to be righteous. You get to have the effect of righteousness. You, you get to love God. You get to follow His commands. And in turn, He offers you His peace. You see, in Luke 2.14, we we tend to think of the the peace on earth as a a peace to all men. And that's just not simply the case. If you read it, it says, With whom he is well pleased, and with whom is he well pleased? Those who follow his commands, those who follow his word. And it's not a have to, it's a get to. So peace brings unity, and we see that unity, right, the, the pursuit of righteousness, that sanctification, continues the act of peace. So that's what peace is. But peace is not comfort in a physical sense. Peace does not mean that all of your worries are going to go away uh, or that you will be comfortable uh, physically, right? We know that the the finality of the gospel is peace forever, eternal peace. But what often happens as an immediate result of the gospel is is usually conflict. Uh, let's look at Matthew. 10:34, 34. Um, it be 34 and 35, yeah. Do not think that I have come to bring peace. This is Jesus now speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and in case uh, you uh, married ladies out there were thinking you're off the hook, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So what is he saying here? Most of the time, your belief in Christ is gonna gonna rub people the wrong way. Um, you, your convictions are gonna rub people the wrong way. And so, uh, the peace of God does not mean a life without conflict. And in fact, Jesus promises that we would we would suffer uh, for loving Him and for believing in Him. And whether that is a physical persecution or emotional persecution, uh, maybe that means. Uh, your family isn't as close as it was, or maybe that means you lose your job, um, we are promised that we are going to suffer. And and Paul is amazing when he says, I count it all joy to suffer like Christ did. And so that's our mindset. Uh, that's our mindset that our life is not always going to be comfortable, but we know where we're headed, and that, that brings us peace. Um, when I was... Thinking about what was peaceful to me, I, I always thought of a physical place where I felt at peace, and I would. I don't know why, it's my old grandmother's house's hot tub, right? And it was in this. It's in its own room, and it's like it's it's all glass, so the sunlight got in there really nicely, and it's like surrounded by plants. I don't know what they're green ones. I don't know what kind of plants they were, and. I remember she and this. She's been in her new house now for ten years. So this is before I was a teenager that I remember this. I must have been a stressed out preteen. That <laughs> my grandmother's hot tub is my place of peace. But I remember thinking uh, when I was in college and I would have to take ice baths after a soccer practice or after a soccer game. I remember thinking like this is just grandma's hot tub. I'm at peace. And it wasn't until it wasn't until I started to dig into scripture and, and say what what is peace that I. Realize I didn't have an understanding of what peace was at all. And it, it, it's not about your physical, where you, where you are, how much money you have, what job you have. It's that I know eternally I'm secure. That no matter what happens around me, or to me, or through me, that I know where I'm going. Uh, I know who holds my future in his hands. And that gives me peace. Right. So peace has more to do with where you are going than where you are. And so how do we receive the peace of God? Based on the passage we read today, we're going to go back and, and read Philippians four, four through seven again. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Let's stop right there. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So what that means is, I'm going to finish preaching today, and I'm not even going to skim the surface of what the peace of God holds. Because there are just some things we don't understand about the peace of God and how it works. Um, That's why Jeremiah says, his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts higher than my thoughts. There are just some things that uh, we have to be okay with not knowing. And I thought about it this way. So Pat and Carlo, who aren't here, they're in Greece, lucky. Um, <laughs> Pat knows a card trick, like a, like a magic trick. And we were over at the Coons, and he did it. And it blew my mind the first time. And then he did it another time, and it still blew my mind that he would know my card. And so he... He was like, aren't, don't, aren't you just okay with not knowing how it works? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not okay with not knowing how. So he taught me. And I thought, I should be okay with not knowing everything, right? If God, his peace is above my understanding, that should be okay sometimes. I think we live in a world where everything I, I need to know now. My dad always says, Don't ask me a question you can Google. Like, if you can Google it and figure it out for yourself right now, don't ask me. And we, that's just the world we live in. If I don't know something, we can find out. And, and God is not scared of your questions, but there are just some things that even if it was explained to us, it, we wouldn't understand it. And I think sometimes we just have to be okay with that. All right, so we'll get back. Sorry, that was not in my notes. Um, <laughs> so it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, again, I will say, Rejoice. So I I thought about breaking this into two commandments. So it says rejoice and rejoice again. Paul is writing this from prison. And he is telling these people in Philippi to rejoice. And that blows my mind. That he would be in bondage and be able to say rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Earlier in Philippians he says, "I, I count it all as lost. Just so I would know Christ. If I die, I count it as gain. If I live and I get to be with you longer, right? And that's that's his his mentality, is if it's bad for me, if it's good for me, I will rejoice. And so that's what he's saying here. In, in James uh, 1, 2, and 3, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And w- what I'm saying here is, these commands that we get in verses four through six allow us to have the peace of God, right? And what I what I've what I found is that once you do these things and you receive that benefit, it's easier to go back to verse four and do it all again, because I know what's coming. And so my encouragement to you is that if you are in Christ, you've already received the peace of God. Your fate has been sealed, and there's nothing you can do. We sang about it this morning. Nothing could separate you from the love of God, but we need to use that motivation to do these four things because it gets easier. So rejoice in the Lord and then rejoice again. And then it says, be reasonable. Let your, reasonab- let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Uh, if you guys were in a city group this past season, um, and I suggest you guys join when we start back up in the fall, it's awesome. We went through a video series through the book of Jonah And um, Dr. Eric Mason said that, and he said this when when we saw him at a conference, the church is known way too much for what it's against and not enough for what it's for. And um, I was thinking about that, and a lot of that has to do with being reasonable. Are we reasonable with one another? There are a lot of churches around Tampa, and it's our job to, to bridge those gaps Um, there's a reason why peace brings unity is because it allows us to be reasonable with one another. Uh, And I was thinking about an example for this. Um, We had a a woman in our church uh, earlier when we first started um, who told us a story about a church that she went to before. And she was there on a Sunday morning and she listened to the sermon and she she came back and she's like, man, that just... I don't know, that just didn't sound right. I don't So she went and she searched the scriptures. And she found that what this guy was preaching actually wasn't the truth. And so she crafted a very nicely worded email and she let him know that due to our differences, I wish you all the best, but I can no longer be a part of your church. And I thought that's that's reasonable, right? it's reasonable to leave if you don't line up doctrinally or if this church is not going to preach the bible but what she did was she was reasonable about it right she it, reasonableness does not mean easily swayed or being a pushover right reasonableness is knowing where you stand standing firm and then doing everything in love that's reasonable so it's reasonable to to leave if, if your pastor's not going to preach the Bible. It's reasonable to, to cut off a relationship if they're, all they're going to bring you is harm. It's reasonable. And then it says, do not be anxious. So this, this has to deal with already having the peace of God and knowing where you're going. So you, you're not anxious about anything. And so there's a reason why James exhorts us to count it joy when we face trials. There's a reason why Paul can say that he counts everything as loss. There's a reason why Stephen was martyred and was willing to be martyred. There's a reason why Andrew was crucified upside down. There's a reason why people all around the globe are being martyred for their faith in Christ. It's because they're not anxious about where they're going. They know where they're going. And they've put their faith in that, And so what Paul is saying here to the Philippian people is that you've put your faith in the wrong things. You've put your faith in the gold. You've put your faith in the natural springs that are in Philippi. You've put your faith in Rome, and they're going to fail you. But you don't have to be anxious. If you put your faith in Christ, you know where you're going, and the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. And then finally it says, in everything. What does it say, church? In Everything. everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in my very short time of being married, I have learned that communication is key. And she's probably rolling her eyes because I don't communicate still very well. I might know that it's key, but I don't do it all the time. And I was thinking it's a lot easier when my wife and I are constantly talking about what's going on. Whether it's our finances, whether it's what's going just what's going on at work, whether it's just about our day, it's easier for us to speak to each other if we're in that constant communication. And why is that any different with you and God? I'm starting to learn the, why Jesus calls us the bride of Christ. Why the church is called the bride of Christ. And that's because in a marriage... You have to communicate, or it's not going to work. It's just not. And so it's the same thing for you and, and God, that you have to be in constant communication. So we have four things. Rejoice, well, five things. Because we have rejoice, we have rejoice again, be reasonable, don't be anxious, and pray. And then those five things lead us to have peace with God. And like I said earlier, you you do it once, it's tough, you receive the benefits, and then it gets easier and easier and easier. If there's anything I can say to you is that God has signed his end of the peace treaty. And if you're a believer here today and you've signed your half, then this is an encouragement. This is something that you get to do, to love God, to obey his word, and in turn he gives you his peace. But if there's some of you today who have not signed your half of the treaty, I would encourage you. He has signed it with the blood on the cross. He has broken down that dividing wall and he is waiting with open arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, again, thankful for your word. Thankful for uh, just how it works and um, how it is always timely how it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut through us to show us where we can improve, where we can trust you more. And Father, we pray that as uh, we go out of here today that you would give us the uh, the courage to step up, um, to not be anxious, to understand that, that we know where we're going, that the circumstances around us uh, They don't matter. How much money we have does not matter. Uh, Our political leaning does not matter. But what really matters is that we have put our faith in the rock. That you will sustain us. And that you will keep us in the palm of your hand. And that, that brings us peace. And if there's any of us here today that, that don't know you, I just pray that you would just prick their hearts, Father. Uh, that they would be encouraged. That they can be at peace. That everything that they've tried to put their faith in has failed them. And, and, and they're looking and they're searching. Father, I just pray that they would turn to you. That they would understand that they, the wall between you and them has already been broken down by Jesus. And I just pray that they would find a pastor here, an elder, and, and just talk and have the courage to step up. Give us a great week. Go with us as we go out of here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.